honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, cast on skillets, good and hot, watch it steam and crack and pop, cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show that is dedicated to the people of our Appalachian region who produce, prepare, and preserve our foods and agricultural products. Our theme song you just heard was sung, arranged, and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. And this is your hostess, Amy Campbell. This morning, we're setting the table with salami, grass-fed, all-beef salami made right on the farm in Greenback, Tennessee, the old world way, with lots of time for curing and no artificial preservatives. Fred Sossman has a neat little story about that specific architecture you can find at Pal's Sudden Service restaurants found all over Upper East Tennessee. And I've got a big list of regional farm, food, and family events to let you know about that are presented by area nonprofit organizations who are trying to make a difference in our community. Thank you so much for your good company. I appreciate you tuning in. We'll first join Chris Berger, who is the proprietor of Century Harvest Farms in Greenback, Tennessee. On this farm, they raise beef cattle, fruits, and vegetables, and they make all sorts of value-added products in their state-of-the-art industrial kitchen, such as pickled okra, preserves, cured meat products like the salami that we're going to focus on today, and they make savory spreads. And they've also created the Century Harvest Farms Foundation, where they provide a place for people with barriers to employment can learn marketable skills in agriculture. The mission of the foundation is to eliminate food insecurity in our community. And the social mission is an integral part to the farm. With the sale of their value-added products, like the salami we're going to talk about today, they put 10% of the proceeds back into the foundation. The cattle at Century Harvest Farm are raised on pasture, not a pasture grain mixture. And in speaking with Chris, I learned about some big differences on nutritional, environmental, and independence from government subsidies that this style of farming that he practices supports. This style of raising cattle is so old that it's new. So let's join him now and hear more about what makes their salami different and the nutritional and environmental differences between pasture-raised cattle for beef and grain-fed. Now, if you hear this sort of breathing in the background, it kind of sounds a little bit like Darth Vader tried to take it out of my recording, and I apologize. I couldn't get it out of there. But that is Chris Berger's dog, and his name is Aussie. 
and he is the official minister of bovine management and uh, when he sleeps he sleeps pretty hard so i hope you can look over that let's talk about salami shall we yes let's okay and I'm talking with Chris Berger, and I'm so glad to see you. You too, Amy. Thanks for coming down. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just last week, I was looking at your operation, how you raise your cows. Yeah. And it was so much fun. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, and um, you shared lunch with me, and you sliced this beautiful salami and put out this little charcuterie board. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. And um, so we're talking about your salami today because it is raised right here in Greenback, Tennessee, and it is a superior product than the kind of salami that most of us are used to finding, you know, at the big box stores. Thanks, yeah. It's really, really delicious. Can you just kind of tell us about it and how you make it and, you know, starting with the beef itself, how you raise your beef compared to maybe what we're used to in the big big market stores sure sure well obviously the you know the quality of the beef you know has everything to do with how the salami turns out and uh, we employ highly sustainable practices in you know intensive rotational grazing and the quality of the protein and the quality of the fat that we're using the nutrient density and flavor density of that material is really second to none and so we have a very strong base ingredient that we're incorporating into uh, you know into all of our offerings especially our salami so you know when you have a nice hard saturated fat that's rich in omega-3 fatty acids and nutritious carotenoids you have an excellent sort of starting base for uh, you know for any product but especially a cured meat product well it's not greasy so much of it is just so greasy and it's not this way it's it looks to me to have more meat to it. Yeah, the the, the greasy, uh, oily uh, texture that you get from most American charcuterie, as you know, in stark contrast to the uh, sort of the old world European charcuterie, is the result of our heavy dependence on oil seeds um, as a source of protein in conventional uh, animal agriculture. So that's your kind of canola seeds and soybeans being the, the most popular. But animals that are raised with a conventional diet that includes oil seeds are all gonna have that, that very, very greasy, oily texture that is indicative of an unsaturated fat. That's the loose sort of vegetable oil fat that comes from oil seeds. And that's in stark contrast to the you know the saturated fat that our animals basically make you know when they're raised on pasture on forages alone. I've heard that uh, the grass fed like you're doing it, the fats you say they're saturated fats, but they're actually healthier for us, aren't they? That's right. Yeah, the the you know there is uh, <laughs> sort of this very old piece of wisdom that we use and you know we say you know grain ain't green you know when you have when you have animals that are raised on just a starch diet that is a grain diet they're missing a lot of the fantastic nutrients that animals get from pasture from living biologically dynamic pasture from grasses and legumes basically uh, conjugated linoleic uh, acid is a is one nutrient uh, beta carotene is is another nutrient and uh, omega-3 fatty acids are those are all you know important nutrients that are not going to be present in a conventional beef product and when we say conventional beef products those are 
the uh, big feed lots out west where ship them west to get fattened up mm-hmm. on grain, right? Yeah. And is that mostly what we're going to see at the big box stores? Right. Much? They've they've achieved just a tremendous economy of scale uh, in those operations. And and a lot of people don't know this, but the same thing happens in agriculture. You know, we're subsidizing, you know, to the tune of billions and billions of dollars per year, uh, the ability for manufacturers basically to obtain their raw material at a very low cost. And so what that means is that we have a lot of grain subsidies that allow these enormous beef producers to aggregate a lot of animals in a pretty yucky feedlot kind of environment where there's no grass, no plants, nothing to you know sequester carbon. So all they're doing is emitting carbon. Uh, and, you know, we're basically paying for them to, to run a profitable business. And uh, the, the, the taxpayers are really shouldering you know, the financial burden of keeping their operating costs low. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's very true that beef like mine and other small-scale, you know, eco-farmers uh, is more expensive. But when you consider that we don't take, you know, any handouts from the government to, to raise our animals, it does have an economic impact. It does, you know, it does change the equation quite a bit. Uh, the grain subsidies are are a big problem. They they do they they do serve a viable purpose in our economy, but it's a terrible you know economic welfare that we're providing, uh, and it's uh, uh, it's le- it's really leading agriculture in the wrong direction, in my opinion. And not as healthy of a product. Yeah, a, a starch-based diet. I mean, you you see what happens. Uh, to humans when we eat a starch-based diet. We uh, suffer from diabetes and morbid obesity and, uh, you know, congenital heart failure, uh, you know, heart disease. Uh, you know, these are, this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, cattle are starkly different from us, but if they eat a, a diet that is only starch, uh, they really do not have the same uh, nutrient profile in their muscle tissue as, as animals that are raised on pasture. And it feels good to eat something that's produced by your neighbor and you know you can go look at the field where your cows are raised you know what's on it you know what's sprayed on it and all those things Mm -hmm. and to me that's really important if you just joined us you're listening to the tennessee farm table podcast and broadcast we are interviewing Chris Berger, proprietor of family-owned and operated Century Harvest Farms in Greenback, Tennessee. We'll take a couple of minutes for a break here and let you know about a bunch of current events in our area presented by nonprofit groups that are farming or agricultural in nature. If you're in the car or can't write things down, I've loaded all of these links and all the contact info on my website. The Nourish Knoxville Winter Farmers Market will not take place today. The remaining date for this market will be Saturday, April 21st at the Central United Methodist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee from the hours of 10 a.m. until 2. Abbey Fields Urban Farm in Knoxville will be hosting a community workday on Saturday, April 21st from the hours of 9 until noon. Be sure to bring a water bottle, closed-toed shoes, and a pair of gloves. They are also still taking memberships for their CSA with a cutoff date of April 21st. The CAC Beardsley Community Farm has put out a call for scholarship sponsorships to send a child to the upcoming Beardsley Farm Camp, which takes place June 4th through 8th. 
The goal of the farm is to host a camp that is inclusive to all children of all socioeconomic levels. And also, they will be hosting a summer crop workday and plant sale on Saturday, April 28th from the hours of 9 a.m. until 12 noon. Be sure to bring a pair of gloves, closed-toed shoes, and a bottle of water. The plants that they're going to be offering up for the plant sale will be sweet and hot pepper plants, tomato plants, herbs, and berry plants. The Blunt County Beekeepers Association will sponsor a field day for new beekeepers at Charlie Parton's Farm in Maryville, Tennessee. Participants will learn the proper way to open a hive and remove frames, how to identify eggs, larvae, capped brood, pollen and honey, how to identify the queen, workers, and drones. And this event will take place on Saturday, April 28th at 10 a.m. at 1768 East Brown School Road in Maryville, Tennessee. After a light lunch, anyone who wishes will be able to tour the honey house and there'll be ample time to ask questions and talk. More information by phone, Charlie Parton, 865-776-1875. And as always, links and information to my guests and events can be found at TennesseeFarmTable.com under that link that says listen to the show. And now let's join back up with Chris Berger of Century Harvest Farms in Greenback, Tennessee and hear more about the salami that they make in this old world style without the use of artificial preservatives. And then we'll hear about the foundation that they've established to meet the needs of the people in our community who have barriers to employment and to help the rapidly changing future in America of the ownership of farms in our country. Well, how about preservatives? Uh, so much about nitrates are bad for us and all this. Um, do you have preservatives in your salami? Yeah, we don't, we don't use any preservatives. Uh, yeah, the nitrates and nitrites, uh, the overwhelming consensus is that these are all terrible for us. So, you know, and people have been preserving food, you know, for a thousand years. I mean, you know, we've crossed mountains and gone over hill and dale and, and made our way across planet Earth very well without nitrates and nitrites for, for a long, long time. So we don't feel that they're necessary to make the best product. And we feel that, you know, actually they should be disincluded if you're trying to make, you know, a superior product, a, you know, a very excellent product. Um, you know, because they have they have an effect on taste, and they have uh, you know effect on the ability for the consumer to really eat it and enjoy it, and and feel good about it. You know, feel good about themselves, and feel feel like they've done something good for their their body, their family, and you know. So we came out of the gate with that kind of design constraint in mind that we weren't going to use those materials. Well, now your process. Can you tell us? about that, how you process this? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So basically our select cuts of beef go through a process by which they're ground with spices and and wine and various materials. And those materials are designed to bring out certain flavors, but they're designed to also provide suitable habitat for the microbiology that we wish to foster in that material to make the preservation possible in an organic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after it uh, goes through that uh, sort of mechanical 
process with the you know with the spices uh, it goes to ferment so it's inoculated with the, the bacterial culture and uh, goes uh, into a chamber it's really you know warm and moist chamber where um, that culture can really colonize the material and uh, begin the process of fermentation so from start to finish how long of a process is it? Yeah, you know, we make you know larger sticks for some of our customers and smaller sticks for some. So the larger take um, about 45 days and the smaller ones take uh, about 20, 25 days. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That seems longer than the mass production method, I would say. Basically, we're not using pasteurization to support our process. We have a live culture living in that material. It's a probiotic culture. It's it's a health and wellness promoting set of microorganisms that we're fostering um, and that people have been using to to ferment charcuterie for for centuries. And so to to pasteurize that would just be to kill all all those organisms. And so that, you know, as far as uh, a, a local artisan house of food creation, we really want to swing to the other side and really represent the the more life-giving probiotic kind of foods. And uh, we want to provide something for the, you know, the very health conscious consumer and the very, you know, kind of locally minded consumer uh, that fits their value set. And that's, you know, that's really important to us. And I think it's really important to a lot of people. So this year, Century Harvest Farms has created Century Harvest Farm Foundation. Mm-hmm. And this is such an exciting thing. Will you just tell us about the foundation? So the, the foundation was created to end food insecurity in our East Tennessee community. And we do that in a number of ways. You know, we are bringing people onto the farm that are limited resource people and have uh, barriers to employment. And we're providing them with teaching, learning opportunities, workforce development opportunities. And basically, you know, the business side of what we do is it, it is a very broad scope and so from you know seed all the way to harvest we're kind of ushering you know those you know those ingredients along the entire journey um, and then of course with you know our marketing and distribution we basically have an entire little micro food system and so you know what better way to learn about food and agriculture than to kind of plug into that system and and learn about agriculture and food processing and compliance and all of the the minute details that go into you know food production and um, you know and marketing and distribution and so we have these programs that help our participants gain skills in any sector of that industry and so we're very proud to you know to welcome these folks to our farm and and help them figure out what uh, is the you know sort of the best pathway to take because food and farming is changing very fundamentally you know the average american farmer is over 60 years old and in the next 25 years there's going to be 400 million acres that changes hands and um, that's by most accounts you know, one of the largest events in human history is the the changing of uh, of the guard there, and uh, with that is going to come you know an enormous amount of challenges to make sure that all of all of that land is really you know managed in a way that fosters you know the sustainability of human life and doesn't 
just create value for shareholders. And so we're, you know, we're really trying to involve folks that have you know, need a, a new path forward mm-hmm. to really find one in, in agriculture and food because the industry is, is changing so dynamically. You know, as baby boomers are withdrawing from food buying consumership and you know, millennials are really kind of ramping up their power in you know, the food consumer marketplace, everything is changing. Their uh, millennials, thank goodness, are, they really don't like uh, to buy food from multinational, you know, globalized corporations. They like to buy from their neighbors. Um, you know, they're much more focused on their own health, the solidarity of their small business community. And uh, so, you know, we really commend uh, the millennials for making those really, those really smart food choices. It's, uh, mm-hmm. um, I think that there's an element in there where uh, we would we'd rather maybe go on a hike than than go to the doctor. So <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, we're very pleased that the food marketplace is changing. You know, so dynamically, it's a really welcome change. And you've been listening to an interview with Chris Berger of Century Harvest Farms in Greenback, Tennessee. This family-owned and operated farm specializes in grass-fed beef, charcuterie, preserves, pickled products, along with their Century Harvest Farms Foundation. Information about this farm online, centuryharvest.com. And now we're going to join our friend Fred Sossman from Johnson City, Tennessee, and hear from his series he calls Potluck Radio on the curious architectural style of Pal's Sudden Service restaurants found throughout Upper East Tennessee. This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Sossman. There are 28 Pals Sudden Service restaurants ranging from Norton, Virginia down to Jefferson City, Tennessee. The regional restaurant chain was founded in Kingsport, Tennessee in 1956 by Frederick Powell Barger, whose parents ran a restaurant there called Scobie's. The original Pals is a walk-up and order restaurant. Most of the other 27 pals in operation today are drive through and they're known for their hamburger, hot dog, french fry, and milkshake architecture. When he decided to build the drive through businesses, Powell did not hire a professional architect to design the structures. Instead, it happened over the dinner table at Scobie's with Powell's friend, Tony Baroni. I said, Tony, I've been thinking about doing a drive through only. And he said, oh, I always want to do one of those. So he got that napkin and drew it upside down so I could see it. And then he pushed that aside and said, now here's another idea. I said, I don't want to see anything else. That's what we're going to do. So we did the first hamburger and, and a hot dog in the basement of Scobie's. It had a styrofoam and it had a Corvette shop to put the paint on it. And we had styrofoam all over everything after where we, we had t- taken a piece of conduit and to put a piano wire on it and electrified it so we could carve out, take the styrofoam. We got over in Johnson City in big blocks and glued it together and carved away everything that didn't look like a hot dog or a hamburger. And then had it, and so that's where the first first set came from. We have a boat company now that Still, does okay. Yeah, Yeah, we just call them up and say, give us one large hot dog, one large hamburger to go. That original napkin is proudly framed and displayed at PAL's World Headquarters in Kingsport, Tennessee. For Potluck Radio, I'm Fred Sausman.
Thank you so much for your great company here today on the Tennessee Farm Table. Hope you can join us again right back here next Saturday at 9 a.m. on the radio dial at WDVX.com out in Knoxville or anytime on our podcast, TennesseeFarmTable.com. Our theme song was written by myself and sung, arranged, and performed by Emmy Sunshine of East Tennessee. More information about Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. That is spelled T-H-E-E-M-I Sunshine.com. We hope you'll reach out and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and also our podcast on TennesseeFarmTable.com. And please tell your friends about us. We want to say thank you to WDVX Radio out of Knoxville, Tennessee. They are a true community-supported radio station that does not receive funding from universities or government agencies. The community and businesses support WDVX. Through an agreement with WDVX, they are our media partner, and the Tennessee Farm Table Show is broadcast on that station every Saturday at 9 a.m. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production. That was the sound of about 55 cows down at Century Harvest Farm moving out of their enclosure into fresh green grass about 1 o'clock in the afternoon.